Today we're continuing our Epiphany series, Gifts That Keep Giving, as we explore a different gift each week that the Christ child has brought into our world and reflect on how that strengthens us along our journey of faith. Today we're asked to reflect on two gifts, law and grace. We see this in, uh, we saw this, uh, both of these in our first reading from Deuteronomy that following the law of God is life giving for you and the community. Now we turn to the gospel uh, in, in our lectionary reading and, and pick up in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Only now the tone changes a little bit from where we last left uh, Jesus and his Sermon on the Mount a couple weeks ago. To be honest, this is a tough text. In it, we see that Jesus isn't just the good-hearted teacher that calls us blessed, as he uh, does just a few verses before in the Beatitudes. He's also a prophet, speaking out against the issues in the community and the world, and calling God's people to change their behavior. We'll all be challenged by these words, but hopefully this challenge will draw us closer to God and to each other. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the fifth chapter of Matthew's gospel, beginning with the 21st verse. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable for judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. 
Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Challenged, right? Well, the other day I was prompted to do um, something we all see from time to time in, in our tech world that we live in. I was prompted to update the software on my smartwatch. Before I could do so, though, I had to agree to the terms and conditions. You know, the tediously long legal document most of us just scroll through because, I mean, who has that kind of time? To be honest, I actually did glance at the first paragraph or two, but then I got bored and clicked agree and moved on with my life. Our text this morning kind of reminds me of this experience. It's in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the most famous teaching from Jesus' ministry that spans chapters in Matthew's Gospel. But what we read today is not the beloved Beatitudes, which is the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, nor is it the Lord's Prayer, which occurs a little later. It's in the middle. The fine print that many of us forget is there. But we do need to address it and be reminded of it because there's vital teaching in it for us in the Christian life. In this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus turns to the law. The law of God, very much informed by the words from Deuteronomy in our first lesson. This law has formed and shaped Jesus and his ancestors for generations. Now, Matthew, writing two uh, generations or so after Jesus' resurrection, picks up his words on the law for the church to illustrate what it looks like to live by this law of God. Now, to reflect on this, Jesus gives six practical examples, likely things that Matthew's own community was wrestling with at the time. With each of these examples, Jesus begins with the traditional rendering of that law, you have heard it was said. He then goes on to give his application of the law with the words, but I say to you. This is why this passage is often called the six antitheses of the Sermon on the Mount. But I think antithesis is a pretty misleading term. For one, it reinforces a very problematic view that Jesus somehow replaces the law of Moses, something Jesus himself repudiates just three verses before our reading began today. What these six statements show us is not a replacement of, but rather an intensifying of and recommitting to the essence of this law given to the people of God. I think equally problematic is how Christians have taken Jesus' words over the years, which is far more literally than Jesus intends. Here, Jesus employs a common device in teaching and rhetoric for his day, but is one we still recognize today, hyperbole, an obvious over-the-top exaggeration in order to make a point. Such a rhetorical device intends for listeners to take your words seriously but not literally. Now, despite what fire and brimstone preachers have been saying for generations, I don't think Jesus is condemning certain people to eternal torment and hell here. Ironically, the extreme rendering of Jesus' words and judgments here have resulted in people acting antithetical to what Jesus is actually teaching. Now, while there may not be an eternal condemnation here, There is definitely a judgment given, a judgment we need to take seriously in order to understand Jesus' teaching. 
Scholar Tom Long says that judgment in the biblical sense is God's repairing of the broken creation. Judgment is God's scalpel, carefully removing the malignant tissue that threatens life. Judgment is God's burning away of all that is cruel and spirit-killing in order that we may breathe air of compassion. Judgment is good news. It is God setting things right. This is what Jesus is doing, friends, in challenging his followers to commit anew to the law. If you look at the text, all these so-called antitheses deal with matters that concern the strength of a community and interpersonal relationships. It is universally dangerous to a community when people are angry with one another and want to inflict harm on one another. The same can be said of lust and adultery. To desire another's beloved causes harm to relationships and the wider community as a whole. The sticky wicket in our reading, though, is definitely Jesus' words on divorce. Today, virtually every family has been affected by divorce in some way. We know the effect that it has on families and communities. Unfortunately, Jesus' words here have been used by church leaders to cause many to be ostracized from faith communities over the years. Jesus' words on divorce are clear, but... It needs to be understood that the institution of divorce in the first century was worlds different than what we understand it to be today. In a patriarchal society, and Jesus even mentions this, only the man could divorce his wife. There is no mutual agreement to end a relationship, nor was there a way for a woman to flee an abusive relationship. In this day, for a man to divorce his wife meant deeming her as worthless, forcing her to live either without status or to bring shame on herself and her next husband by remarrying, as Jesus actually states. Jesus' judgment here condemns such an institution, such an institution where anyone is deemed as having no worth. Jesus condemns an institution where patriarchal power is abused. And Jesus condemns an institution where faithful commitments are not taken seriously. Like everything in Scripture, friends, we need to follow or we need to read these words from Jesus, not only in light of its first century setting, but we also need to read them with the rule of love and how we care for those in our midst going through such a difficult thing as divorce. The reason being that this, like all the other so-called antitheses, call us to live by the law of love. All these challenge us to be about the work of strengthening the community by strengthening our relationships with each other. All of these challenge us to see the humanness in each other, to love one another, and to see one another as a child of God made in God's own image. This challenge of love intensifies the meaning of law. To read you shall not murder doesn't mean just don't kill. It means do everything in your power to be life-giving to others. To care for and to love everyone. Yes, that means everyone. This is what our first reading in Deuteronomy is getting at. 
and what theologian John Calvin called the third and principal use of the law. It's the use of the law that Christ himself brings. The first purpose or use of the law is to deter evildoers from doing harm. The second use is to shine the light on our own sin and faults. But the third sets us free to fully live as the people God calls us to be, to love God and love one another as ourselves. It should also be noted here, friends, that these words are given to the very same crowd as the Beatitudes just a few verses before. What we often forget in reading this lesson today is that these words from Jesus were likely good news to the crowd gathered there to hear him preach. This is the same crowd of people Jesus called blessed, who are the victims of these acts against community, being forgotten, tossed aside, denied reconciliation with the wider community. It's also likely that these words were of comfort to Matthew's own community in which he addresses his gospel, his community of Jewish Christians in the late first century who are beginning to experience persecution because of their faith. So in urging followers to commit anew to the law of Moses, Jesus speaks a word of judgment, but also of comfort. Whichever side of this a person would find themselves on, the core message of this passage is really the same. Reconciliation. To reconcile with those from whom you are estranged. To extend one another the same grace God gives each of us through Christ. Jesus talks about reconciling on the way to giving an offering. To make peace with your accuser on the way to court. In other words, to be in right relationship with God, living by the law, means to live in right relationship with each other. These words seem particularly necessary in this divided and polarized culture we find ourselves in today. Many of us fearing that this uh, state that we find ourselves in will only get worse in an election year. Friends, how can we see the image of God in those with whom we disagree? or with whom we need to be reconciled. This doesn't mean being a passive doormat. It certainly doesn't mean condoning abuse or infidelity. Nor does it mean that we are unable or can't express our opinions. Rather, we're challenged to do so in a way that acknowledges the humanness in those with whom we disagree, seeing that they too are children of God made in God's own image. If we can do this, if we can practice this, even if we fall short, and we will fall short, we can be, as the prophet Isaiah says, repairers of the breach. We know what this breach looks like in our community and world. So how can our love work to repair it? Having just celebrated Valentine's Day and sharing our love with one another, it seems fitting that we reflect on these gifts of law and grace because these are the very ways that God communicates and shows God's love to us. Law gives us the framework to live in full relationship with God and each other, being life-giving to each other as Deuteronomy calls us to do. Grace reminds us that we're forgiven, not if, but when we mess this up, that God never gives up on us, 
And the grace of God reminds us to extend this loving grace to one another, that we might stop judging and start seeing the image of God in those with whom we are estranged. It's only through grace that we're able to read difficult passage like this one in Scripture. Not through our own clouded, biased judgment, but through the lens of Christ's all-encompassing love. Friends, law and grace are gifts from God that keep giving. If we take these gifts seriously and commit ourselves anew to them, we'll be continually drawn together in community. We'll be pushed to see the image of God in those with whom we differ and are at odds with. We'll be challenged to extend the same grace that Christ offers us because they too are children of God. May we find ways to reconcile and be life-giving with those we disagree with. I know it's a hard ask, friends, but if we can do this, or at the very least be willing to try, then they'll always know that we are Christians. They'll always know that we are Christians, not by our sound doctrine. They'll always know we're Christians, not by our judgment or our shaming of others different from ourselves. No. They'll always know we are Christians by our... Amen.